All right, why don't you guys grab your Bibles, if you would, and uh, we're going to dive into it. This is our last, uh, our last message on the book of Philippians. And so uh, for those of you that um, this, uh, this is your first time to celebration, uh, on Sundays we're marching through the book of Acts. And so uh, this Sunday I think I'll be on uh, Acts chapter 6, if I remember correctly. And then on Wednesdays, we've been marching through the book of Philippians. Now, this is the last chapter of Philippians, and so now we're going to go to Ephesians. There are five letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And uh, they're very interesting to me because I'm just thinking, how can you be so positive and so effective while you're in the worst situation you can possibly be in, which is being in chains um, for something that God wanted you to do. And so uh, we're going to just march through Philippians and what's going to end up happening. And I've been saying this over and over again, so I just really want to drill it into your guys' heart is as we go systematically through books of the Bible like this, it's building precept upon precept upon precept, which is truth upon truth. And for those of us in this room where we wish our faith was higher than what it is, we wish that we could believe in God uh, with more certainty as we build these scriptures into our heart, uh, what you'll realize when you pray is you'll be way more confident when you pray. Uh, And you'll want to pray more because your faith will be higher because we've built this way. So whenever it's it's, uh, Sunday morning and you're like, oh, I want to sleep in, come on out. It's so important. Or when you're driving home, you're thinking, I'm just going to go home. I'm going to put a T-shirt on with a hole in it. I'm going to lay in the lazy boy, watch reruns of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or whatever you like. And uh, no, 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 come on out to church. And, and let's build, build up our faith. Does that sound good? All right, so here we go. Let's dive right into it. Uh, I've got, let me th- see here. I've got um, 27 points for you tonight. We're going to build all the precepts upon precepts, all right? So I've got, let me see how many points I got. Make sure you guys write it down. I've got six points for you. And uh, we're going to go through this whole chapter together, and uh, I'm going to move pretty quickly. If you guys are able to, um, if you guys are able to listen quickly, can you guys do that? All right, man, I had such a good time in my life group. Raise your hand if you had your first life group already. Go ahead and raise it up real high. Go ahead, raise it up real high and wave it around. Let me see you. Let me see you, man. I tell you what, if you guys are not in a life group. You've got to be in a life group. You have to. You have to be in a life group. It is so important. It meets every other week. There's only six meetings in this semester. So if you've already missed one, you got five left. So you've got to be a part of it. I'm telling you, it is so awesome. I was, uh, last week, I was telling somebody on our staff that I needed to go to a funeral. I wasn't officiating the funeral. I was going to the funeral uh, to support somebody. Uh, because they they lost their father and and somebody said man you know how are you able to you know go to all these funerals for everybody in our church I said well I can't go for everybody in our church but people that are in my life group you better believe I'm gonna go and and that's how we do life groups here we live life together in 
our life groups. And so uh, make sure, um, in fact, I, I leaned over to Sly to ask him what life group he was in. He was like, man, I'm in uh, Isaiah's life group. And it was really, really good. So Isaiah, good on you, buddy. Good on you. Good. So I'm, I'm just going to assume Jessica did most of the talking. <laughs> if it was that good, Jessica had to have... Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. All right, here we go. Let's dive into it. Philippians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to read, let's see here. Let's just read the first verse and then unpack that one, okay? Um, masters, talking about managers or business owners. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. You know, be just and fair to your employees, if you will. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. You know what? I'm reading out of Colossians. <laughs> you know what's so funny is while I'm reading, I'm like, man, what am I going to say about this? I'm like, man, I can't remember what I was going to say about this verse. And I'm thinking, man, you better come up with something fast. You only got four more words in the sentence. Sheesh. Man, I was really about to pull something out. See, what had happened was this guy named Paul, right? <laughs> You see why you got to come to church on Wednesdays, man? It's just different and it's cool. All right. My friend Mike here, this is his first time. He's from Boston. He came walking into my office today. Never seen Mike in my entire life. Comes walking right in my office and goes, Hey! Hey! I was in the mall, I saw your face, wanted to come in here and say hi. <laughs> I heard his East Coast accent, I liked him right away. I said, you want a cup of coffee? I said, yeah, I want a cup of coffee. We sat down and talked about the Celtics together. God put us together, man. All right, let's try this again. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends. Now, here we go. This is where I'm going to draw my first point. For you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Isn't that cool? Just listen to that carefully. The crown that I'm going to get this is what Paul's saying. The crown that I'm going to get when I get to heaven has everything to do with what I have been doing in your life. Let's, let's say it another way. The crown that is waiting for us has everything to do with what we deposit into other people's life. Let me say it another way. The crown that God has waiting for you 
size six and a half. Well, some of you got a size 11 and a half, but that's another story. The, the size of the crown, the crown that he has waiting for you, he's going to give it to you to honor you, to say thank you, because you have taken it upon yourself to care for somebody else's walk with God. You have spiritually adopted somebody. And because of that, you know, I'm going to give you a crown. I just want to say um, that any time, whether it's your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, your uncle, your mammy, your pappy, your best friend, the person down the street, somebody in, uh, that you work with, any time you look at somebody and there's this, this something in you that says, I want to help them. Get closer to the Lord. I want to encourage them in their walk with God. I think I'm going to invite this person to church. Anytime that thought crosses your mind and you follow through with it, there's something about that crown that gets expanded. I don't know if there's another ruby that goes in the crown. I don't know if it's a little bit shinier. I I don't know. But every single time you invest into somebody and their relationship with God. I have a friend of mine that told me one time, he goes, "My, my mom had a drug problem when I was growing up. I said, really? He goes, yeah, she drugged me to church every Sunday morning. I was like, hey, I didn't know my parents had a drug problem too. They drug. For those of us that are parents who have drug problems, we drag our kids to church. I just want to let you know, that is securing for you. That's, that's reserving. That's a better word. That is reserving for you a crown. Uh, and just, you just got to know that. You just got to know that. Um, let me share this, this next uh, verse Um, verse two, let's read two and three. Now I appeal to you now, now this whole letter is to the church in Philippi. Now he's about to do something that he rarely does because the letter is to the whole church. They're supposed to stand up and read it to the whole church. But now he's about to address two people in the congregation. So this is very interesting what Paul's about to do. He says this in verse 2. Now I appeal to you. And I've tried to pronounce their names all day today. Easy E. (laughs) Dr. Ray, do you want to come up here and and pronounce these names for me? Uh, Please. So he announces them. Let's just say Betty and Lacey. Please, because you belong to the Lord, watch what he says here. Settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. You see what he's saying here? Now put the first verse together and then let's put the next verse together. He's saying this. He's saying, hey, anytime 
You invest into other people's life, there is a crown for you. Now, you two ladies in the church, you used to help me do that. You were part of, uh, we worked together. We talked about Jesus to other people together. We encouraged each other in the Lord. We did that together. But now you've gotten distracted. You're fighting with each other. You've got this disagreement in your family. I've heard about it all the way in the prison. I'm, I'm over here in prison. I've heard about this disagreement that you ladies have. And, and I'm asking for you to just settle it. I'm just asking you to settle it. What's interesting to me is that conflicts are a huge distraction for children of God. A huge distraction. Notice that Paul doesn't, he doesn't get into the muck and bullets and try to figure out who's right and who's wrong. At a certain point, you just got to back up and ask yourself, do I want to keep on fighting to figure out who's right and who's wrong? Is that really what, uh, do I really want to give the enemy the satisfaction of distracting me? Have you ever tried to pray when you're mad at somebody? Come on, let, let, can we be real? I know we're in church, but let's just leave the church mask off just for a second, all right? Somebody give me a well. Thank you. Let's be real. Have you ever tried to pray when you're mad at somebody? You get into an argument and then you come to church. It's like, you know, you just, it's awkward. Lord, I love you so much. (laughs) I love you. I love you. And then you can't get that person out of your head. And so you just look, you see how wrong they are, God. You see how stubborn they are, God. It's just the whole prayer, the whole worship experience. When you're mad at somebody, it's just it's just rough, isn't it? It's just isn't just not at me, isn't it? It's rough. It's is conflict and disagreements. It it kind of bumps us. It's like bumper cars. You know when you drive the bumper cars. And Paul's just saying, just settle it. And then he says this, look, help these ladies settle it. You know, the conflict is one of the three things I talked about last Sunday that are traps for us. I talked about how comparison is a trap. I talked about how conflicts are a trap. What was the other one I talked about? Compromise. Man, whoever said that, I love you. Who said that? There's a few. I love you, man. Compromise, compromise. Anytime you compromise your time or you compromise things that you know are right. But here's the conflicts. I'm in this season of life that when a conflict comes up, it's just like, look, let's just do what we need to do to get this thing moving back again. Let's just get this thing back on track. Let's not get discouraged or distracted. Number two, he starts talking about rejoicing. So first he was talking about investing. He's talking about investing into other people's life. He's talking about invest. Don't get distracted with conflict. Invest. And now he starts talking about uh, something else. Let me read it in verse four. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. 
Rejoice. Now, now he's talking about rejoicing. So first, he was talking about investing, investing in people's lives. Don't get distracted. Watch out for conflict because it derails believers. And now he's saying, I want you to rejoice all the time. It doesn't matter what's going on. I want you to rejoice. And and the reason why I love what he's saying is because it's not like things are going well for him. Isn't it a little annoying when things are not going well and then you see somebody who's like in a great mood? It's like, man, take your mood and your happy self and go somewhere. It's like, I'm blessed and highly favored. Well, I'm so happy for you. I'm fighting every demon in hell and obviously I'm fighting yours too because you just got a perfect life. And that just fantastic. But here, Paul, he, he, he's in jail. He is chained to the wall. And he's saying, hey, guys, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice. And and, and now remember what he said uh, in the previous chapter, in chapter 3. Let me go back and and read it just to remind us. Whatever happens, this is verse 1, chapter 3. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. So in chapter 3, he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. In chapter 4, he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. But in chapter 3, he's telling us why he keeps emphasizing this rejoice thing. And this resonates with me, and this is why. If you have ever prayed for something in particular, like a new job, or somebody in your life to be saved, or your marriage, or your children... Or a healing in your body. And for whatever reason, you're not getting an answer. But you just keep on praying. And you don't see any movement in that situation. But you keep on praying. Our hope begins to sink after a while, doesn't it? You start getting discouraged. The Bible says it this way. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, you just keep praying and you keep praying about Bobby and Susie and your marriage and your job and your finances and and nothing happens. It's deferred. Well, after a while, your heart starts getting sick. And what, what ends up happening to us is our faith in God starts dropping and so then we start praying less. Is this speaking to anybody? Is this, is this speaking to anybody? We start praying less because what we're praying for, we're not seeing any movement. We're not seeing the needle move. And so Paul says it this way. He goes, look, I'm telling you to rejoice because it's going gonna, it's gonna to safeguard your faith. It's going to protect your faith. What he's saying, it doesn't matter. This is what he said in verse 1 of chapter 3. It doesn't matter what is happening, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Find something to thank God about because doing that will safeguard your faith. 
Because if you don't do that, you'll be too focused on what is not happening and your faith will begin to crumble. So rejoice. And he says, I'm, I've, I know I've said this before. That's what he said. But I'm telling you again, rejoice. He says it in chapter three. He says it in chapter four. What is he saying in the Frankie international version? Find things to thank God about and thank him a lot. Because if we don't recognize what he's doing and we say exclusively focus on what we're praying for, if God's timeline is not the same as ours, our faith will... And you'll start wondering if God even exists. And so he's saying, I'm telling you to rejoice because it will safeguard your faith. And then he brings it up again in chapter four. So he emphasizes rejoicing. Let's go to point number three. This is so cool. Verse six, he says, don't worry about anything. Now that's easier said than done. Hello? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now listen to this. He tells us how to pray. He goes, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Now, what he's saying is, is that prayers, please write this down, should be a volley between petitions and praise. When you're praying, he's saying, ask God for what you want. Ask God for what you need. But then in the very, he doesn't even put a period at the end of that. He says, and then praise him. So he's saying, petition and then praise. Petition and then praise. Ask for things and then thank him for what he's already done. Ask him for things and then thank him for what he's already done. Ask him for things. And so you can pray for an hour and it's a volley back and forth, back and forth. Back and forth, back and forth. Dear God, I need a new job. You've already given, I thank you for the money that you've given me in my life. I've bought this shirt with it. So thank you for the money that you've given me in my life. But I need another job and I need more money. I thank you, God. I have no idea how much money I've made in my life. I've made hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't have any today. But I thank you for all the money that I've made. Do you see what I'm saying? So you're volleying back and forth. You lift your faith with a thanksgiving. You lift your faith. Is this helping anybody? You lift your faith with praise. And then you extend your faith with a petition. You lift your faith. You extend your faith. You lift your faith. You extend your faith. I thank you, God, for this carpet. Look, here's the deal. When you're down and discouraged, it's hard to come up with things to be thankful about. So don't try to wax eloquent. Just get the ball rolling. I thank you for these shoes. I'm not even trying to be funny right now. I have started with the most basic, basic, basic things to be thankful for. 
what he's saying here is, is he's, he's, he's saying, look, have this yin and yang back and forth of thanking God for what has happened. And then even if you are in this season where things are going terrible, go ahead and put your petition out. Go ahead and say, dear God, I need you. Dear God, I, you see my situation. I need you. I need your help. But I just want to say thank you for all the things that you've done. And so it's a yin-yang, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Just imagine you're playing tennis. One moment for five or ten minutes, you're petitioning. Then the next moment for five or ten minutes, you're praising. It's back and forth. Everyone say, I got that. I got that. Here we go. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7. Now this is the consequences. If you pray like that, this is the consequences. Then, verse 7, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, look, if you pray this way, if you pray with petition and then prayer, petition and then prayer, petition and then prayer. If you pray this way, what's going to end up happening to you is this peace is going to come over you and you can't even really understand it. You can't even really describe it. Like, how many people here has been to the Grand Canyon? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Raise your hand. Now, if I sit down with you, because I've never been to the Grand Canyon, if I sit down with you and say, "Um, Zaporia, what's the Grand Canyon like? I love her answer and I just caught her off guard. She just said, wow. I heard somebody say about the Grand Canyon, the way to ruin the Grand Canyon is is to take a picture of it. Because if you try to take a picture of the Grand Canyon, it puts a border around something that doesn't have a border. That's how you ruin the Grand Canyon is you take a picture of it. It, it, You try to explain the Grand Canyon, it's like, well, um, it's awesome. Okay. That's what you said about the dinner you ate last night. You said it's awesome. Now you're talking about the Grand Canyon. You're saying awesome. You're, you're using the same, you know, verbiage here. I'm not feeling you. I'm not even about to spend thousands of dollars to go visit the Grand Canyon. I'm not impressed by what you're telling me. The bottom line is you can't express it. It's like I can't even begin to express how awesome all those rocks are. <laughs> and, and that's how silly it feels when you try to express it. And in the same way, when you're going through this life, and the Bible says, so long as we're on this earth, you will ex- experience difficulty. So when people see you experiencing difficulty, and you're walking through it, and you're at complete peace, People are going to look at you and say, you should be like an emotional puddle right now. And you'll say back, I know I should, but I'm not. It's a piece that is hard to explain. It's, it's, it's bigger than our vocabulary. And that's, that's the effect 
of petitioning and then praising and then petitioning and then praising. All right, let's keep on unpacking. Um, that that was point number three, petitioning and praising. I've only got uh, three more, and I'm going to move through them pretty quick. Um, content. Uh, let, let's read this. Uh, content. I'm sorry. He starts talking about contentment in in a in a very unique, anointed way. Watch this in verse ten. How I praise the Lord. That you are concerned about me again. Remember, he's in prison when he's writing this. I thank God that you're, I know you have always been concerned for me. Doesn't it feel good when somebody's concerned for you? Doesn't that feel good? I know for, for many of us, it's like, I would tell you if I have felt it in the last year, uh, because it's very uncommon to have people be concerned. It's like, hey, how are you doing? You mean that? You know? Um, we live in a society where it's kind of like the elevator. How are you doing? You ever been in an elevator? Somebody else walks into the elevator. They say, hey, how are you? They don't. What if you were like, you know what? To be real honest with you, I'm not doing good at all. <laughs> they would look at you like, I didn't mean that. I don't really care how you're doing. I was just being nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so he's, Paul's saying this sincerely. He goes, I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. Verse 11. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned. Now realize this. He had to learn this. He hasn't always been like this. He had to learn it. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing. Now remember, he had to learn how to do that. He had to learn how to live off of beans. I remember my dad and I, when we after the divorce, we had no money, nothing. So we'd make a big, huge pot of spaghetti... And reheat it throughout the week. Half of us have been there. Some of you are there right now. But you know. You, you learn to not complain. It's either that or nothing. Right? So here we go. He goes. I've, I've learned how to be content. I know how to live on almost nothing. I got spaghetti. Or I got spaghetti. <laughs> what do you want? Well, I, I've learned. On almost nothing or with everything. I've had some good days too. I, I've, I've eaten a filet mignon. How many of you have eaten a filet mignon in your time? Hey, we've had a filet mignon. We've eaten a ribeye before. Uh, so I've had both. I've learned the secret. A secret. There's a secret to it. I've learned the secret of learning in every situation whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. There's a secret to it. Let me keep on reading. For I can do, here now he tells the secret, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So the secret here is that I'm not getting my strength, my confidence, my security from eating a filet mignon or driving the nicest car on the road. I'm getting my strength 
my confidence from my boss, from my mutual funds, from my investments. I'm finally making a good salary, so now that's not at all what he says. He's saying, I have reached a relationship with God that literally gives me strength. It gives me confidence. It it makes me feel secure. Hey, Paul, you're in jail. I know. But for some reason, I feel strong. Can I just say there is a relationship with God that is so amazingly close that it makes everything else in life pale. It's simple. I have a best friend of mine. He he went through a divorce and he he looked right at me. He said, I think I'm going to kill myself. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, I, I don't have a reason to live if, if she's not in my life. I'll never mock any. Once you go through a divorce and you feel that, um, you know what it feels like. It feels like your stomach got ripped out of your whole body. And um, I, I looked at him and I said, whoa, hold on a minute. I know this is the worst season you've ever been through. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's just a girl. I know you love the girl, but at the end of the day, it's a girl. I know you love her and there's no one else like her, but at the end of the day, it's a girl. Paul backed up and he said it like this. If you have to get married, if you just can't take it, then go ahead and get married. But for those of you that can handle not being married, that's better. Because now you can stay laser focused and not divide your focus up with anyone else other than doing the work of God. And he's saying there's a relationship that I feel that gives me strength, that helps me. This, it's, I, I can't even explain how wonderful it is to have the creator, the El shall die, the creator of the universe that breathes, just, just breathes and causes life to take place. I have a relationship with him. And, and the weaker I feel, the stronger I feel because of his presence. And he goes, and that's, that's what's available And I just want to say, whether you're married or not married, we have got to be laser focused on what is available. What's available? You know, I I look at this, the the air, the the room. I hope I don't seem like a weirdo right now, but I just feel like if I could see oxygen, if you could see oxygen, wouldn't that be weird? Like you could see oxygen? Because everywhere you look, let's just imagine oxygen was blue. Just for the sake of that. I've never used this example before. It might be the last time I use this example. But just just imagine oxygen is blue. Okay? It's like a blue cloud. And you can see oxygen 
okay? And so you look around this room, it's like, wow, just imagine you're looking around, you can actually see oxygen. Wouldn't that be weird? It's like, wow, oxygen is everywhere. Oh my goodness. Now, back up and just say, okay, the presence of God is like oxygen. It's everywhere. Wow. Wow, so this, this atmosphere, this room is, is literally charged with the presence of God. And, and really, do I want to walk through my whole life with this charged atmosphere of the presence of God and never acknowledge it and never be ingrained with it? Because I, I could live with it. The Bible says that no man knows the thoughts of God except for his presence. And, and this presence is here so that we may know his thoughts. So in other words, this presence, this charged atmosphere is wanting to come into us and be in us and teach us all things and bring all things to our remembrance so that we may know the thoughts of God. That's what's available. Or we can pretend like it's not even there. And Paul is saying, I've learned to live with a lot and with a little. That is what I want. Let me keep reading. Number five. What am I on? Number five. Verse 15. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news. So in other words, there's other churches that he oversaw. They really weren't in to tithes and offerings. They weren't into it. It's, they just, for whatever reason, they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to participate. This particular church, they did. They were into tithes and offerings. And he said this, he goes, he goes, you guys were the only ones. Uh, and when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on to Macedonia, no other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. So now he's talking about rewards again. But it's linked. He's saying, in the first verse, he's saying, when you invest into people, you reserve for yourself a crown. When you invest into people, there's an eternal reward waiting for you. And now he's talking about money. He's saying, oh, by the way, there's another reward that you store up for yourself every time you give. And, and I don't even want you to give for my sake. This is what he's saying. I don't want you to give for my sake. I want you to give for your sake. There's a reward waiting for you when you do that, which is really cool. Now, the last and final point in verse 19, he says this. And this, uh, let me read 18 first. At the moment, rather, okay, let me back up. Verse 17. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. 
Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. Verse 18. At the moment, I have all I need. And more, I am generously generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce his name. They are, watch this, a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. So some way, somehow, I don't know how it works, when you give financially, it smells good. Now that action doesn't have a scent to us, but to God, especially if it's sacrificial, that's what it says here. It says, You send gifts, they are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God, which means there are some gifts that are not acceptable and pleasing. So just because you put money in the offering, I'm thankful as a man because we can pay bills with it. But as far as God's concerned, there are some gifts that you just gave money to the church, but you didn't give money to me. I'm, I'm not even accepting that. And and we know that that's the case because of Cain and Abel, right? Because way back in in the uh, in Genesis, uh, there were two brothers that gave to God, and one of them gave it begrudgingly. He had a bad attitude with it. And the other one gave it willingly and cheerfully. And the one with the bad attitude is like, you know, what? I, I'm not even accepting your mess. Isn't that interesting? The guys, there's some that I'll accept, and there's some that I won't. So here we go. He goes, God, now this is the last and final point. Isaiah, come on up here, please. And this same God who takes care of me. Now he starts talking about us. This same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us. In Christ Jesus. Now, what I like about glorious riches, which is point number six, it's almost like it's almost like me saying this. Okay, uh, I'm going to bless you out of my bank account. I'm going to give you money out of my bank account. But with God, He doesn't have a bank account like Chase Bank or Wells Fargo. So. But he still refers to where it's at. He goes, God is going to bless you. He doesn't use the word bank account. He doesn't use the word money. He uses glorious riches. That God has these glorious riches. Now, let's just, I'm going to break those two words up a minute. Glorious riches. What is rich? Rich is you can walk up to like Donald Trump and say, are you rich? And, and he may or may not say yes. Of course, he's pretty arrogant, so that's probably a bad example. I shouldn't have said that he's arrogant either. But, but rich, you can have, if you make $5 million a year, but it costs you $7 million to live, you're probably not going to consider yourself rich. Because rich is when you have more than enough. That's rich. Okay, I remember my dad coming to tell me that I was rich when I was 14. 
Because I had $200 from cutting grass. And I had no bills. You got $200 that you can just burn and not make... Who cares? I just burn this $200. What's to make a difference? I was rich. So rich is more than enough. So what, what Paul's saying here is, he goes, hey, God is going to bless you because he has more than enough of what? Now he loses us because, again, his vocabulary can't describe what God has. It's more than riches, but it's not just riches. It's not just money. It's like glorious riches. So does that mean that it's yes? <laughs> so, so basically God has a lot of yes. Whatever's in your head, yes. So, yes. It's glorious and it's more than enough. And, and that is what is available to you and I. And so he says, the theme of Philippians is rejoice. To be thankful because he has glorious riches that's available to you and I. So rejoice.